Welcome to episode number five of the Troutcast, the only podcast that isn't about fishing. Uh, I'm your captain, Kelbor Trout. Uh, today we have our most special guest ever. What's up, Ryan? Hey, thank you. That's that's a hell of an introduction. I didn't think I was the most special, <laughs> well, but I'll take it. I say that every time, but I just want I just want to like pump you guys up, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I appreciate it. I appreciate it. Uh, Brian's a writer and podcaster. Uh, I'll have all the links for all of his stuff in the description below. Um, your podcast is called the Illegal Screen Podcast. Mm-hmm. Can you tell us a little bit about it? Yeah, the Illegal Screen is a podcast uh, about the NBA and uh, mixed media, uh, mostly film, and where we think they should cross over or places oh, really? where we see similarities <laughs> between the two. So this is a good week for you. It's a, well <laughs> with Space Jam too. Our minds are already deeply destroyed and perverted by. I mean, they years. pretty much crossed over basketball with every movie now, right? Yeah. That, so the podcast is dead. They ruined it. They ruined our bit. They ruined our shtick. God um, damn it! We pretty much <laughs> they got wrote the idea ha- from you guys. They got the idea from us. Mm-hmm. Liam and I wrote half of Space Jam too, and we That's should have nice. writer credits. I heard it's That's really good. Idea. So good job. <laughs> yeah, we should have writer credits, as far as I'm concerned. Now, uh, but, quick question. Yeah, Space Jam 1, it was yes. really just a crossover with Looney Tunes, right? Yeah, there wasn't any other properties <laughs> in the first film. It was just Looney Tunes. Yeah. Right. Okay. Like Gordon Gecko wasn't in it and stuff. No, he didn't lay up. He didn't have like a sick layup while like a group okay. from Clockwork Orange dunked on LeBron, hmm. uh, dunked on Michael Jordan. Yeah, they didn't happen but in the first film. That is more similar to the second one. As far as I understand, <laughs> from reviews I've read and people who've seen it yeah that's genuinely what the second film is that would have been kind of nice if it was just a Looney Tunes revival because I feel like when I was a a kid I I watched like some Looney Tunes stuff there's like what was it Animaniacs and like Mm -hmm. and and that's all Looney Tunes I think I don't know maybe that's the other one I think it's all owned by yeah whatever it is there was like a little mini revival a little bit, mm-hmm. but I feel like it's just been dead since then. And this could have been their opportunity to have like a big comeback with the kids with Looney Tunes. I think they were worried that because it's not a Disney property, there's not enough buy-in. There's not enough mm. like cultural buy-in, even though Looney Tunes is huge. I mean, it's a, it's a Looney huge. Looney Tunes could have been like the Sigma <laughs> doing the, their own thing, the, separate <laughs> from Disney. <laughs> the Sigma cartoon franchise. The Sigma cartoons. It could have been a thing. It could have been a thing. I'm disappointed now that they're not the Sigma Looney Tune revival, <laughs> where they're all talking about like how you get up at 3 a.m. and you run to work. Uh, and you're and like, don't talk to women. Don't talk to women. <laughs> oh, Bugs Bunny could never. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, man, that, okay. I'd pay money for that. This has nothing to do with our uh, topic today, because we do have a, a kind of serious topic, although yes. we might not take it that seriously. Yeah, yeah, um, we'll see. 
we're kind of talking about class mobility or what I would call middle-class kids growing up to be broke. (laughs) Um, Basically a few weeks ago, I posted something on Twitter about how there seems to be this large population of adults, probably mostly millennials, but I don't want to like, you know, I don't want to just limit it to millennials because I think it includes a lot of other people too. Sure, sure. Grew up like stable or secure, whatever you want to call it, maybe even upper middle class and who went on to be basically like flat broke working class people and they're kind of stuck there. And I want to be extremely clear that I don't mean to compare this to people who grew up in poverty or, you know, in, in, in worse situations, because there's really no comparing it uh, Mm -hmm. because you like, you always have the stability of falling back on your middle-class family, right? You're able to take risks. You have a little bit more of a safety net, a systemic advantage, Mm-hmm. But that it, I think there is a cultural impact of having all these people that grew up feeling stable and who now are not stable and they're, you know, stuck feeling like they're in debt or in the working class or something. Right. So you reached out to me. Mm-hmm. I got a lot of really great responses, but you reached out to me and you said you would love co- to come on the Drowcast and chat mm-hmm. about this from your point of view. So maybe you do want to kind of talk about what your point of view on this is. Yeah, I mean, just I think, uh, first of all, too, I'll, I'll, I'll let everybody know, like, I'm not coming to this uh, episode with like Census Bureau data and like cited, <laughs> citing my sources. Uh, I'm this is just basically, I thought, a, a great conversational opportunity to yeah. talk about people's experiences and their lives. Mm-hmm. I'm not here also to, to, like you addressed already, compare my. You were not going to solve anything. <laughs> this is not solving anything. This, this is, is NPR. To, yeah, this is NPR. I'm Michael Barbero. You know, that's not what this is about. So yeah, I grew up, I was born and raised in, in Newport Ritchie, Florida, which is in Pasco County. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a, it was a pretty poor area. Um, it's, it's had kind of a revival over the past couple of years. Some people suggest even the word gentrification gets thrown mm. around. So is that Northern a, Florida? Uh, no, we're kind of right in the middle. Oh, okay. We're just slightly in the middle. Um, but so being born and raised here, um, my parents were definitely a lower working class. Um, it was a pretty hard time growing up. Mm-hmm. Um, there wasn't things like um, health care. There was an abundancy of food stamps for a long time. Um, it was uh, robbing Peter to pay Paul to basically right. be able to find a stable living situation. Uh, mm-hmm. Vehicles, especially because we're in Florida and, and there's no transit here that's reliable at all. Mm-hmm. Even to this day, there's no public transit that's reliable. So if you didn't have a vehicle, you really couldn't have a job uh, unless you were fortunate enough to be really close to somewhere where you could walk there or you you know, were working with somebody like doing roofing and they were going to pick everybody up in the same crew truck and then take everybody to work, um, mm-hmm. which was limited depending on your, your physical health and, and, and how much you could do a job like that in Florida heat, which has been bad then. It's worse now. So yeah, I imagine uh, past a certain age, a lot of guys are not wanting to do that. Yeah, you just right. can't. I did I did it one summer when I was 16 uh, with my dad. <laughs> he offered, yeah, yeah I, I learned really quickly that no, I wasn't even cut up for it then. So but it's it was just, you know, an interesting place to grow up in because I had these really interesting uh, groups of friends and, and group dynamics with friends who who were absolutely uh, middle class or like you said, upper middle class. And mm-hmm. I always was kind of the odd one out in a lot of ways. But 
it wasn't ever recognized by like anyone's parents. It was just always like, oh, he seems normal, you know? Yeah. So um, it was an interesting experience. And, and after college, my college years were a very weird time. I think most people's college years are a very weird time. Mm-hmm. I was not, I never expected to go to college. I was a horrible student in high school. Um, but my, and now I have a master's degree, so Good job. It, things worked out, but I mean, it didn't work out for me fiscally. Um, right. so, and that's that a common master's story. Degree price tag, right? Yeah. Yeah. I have a, I think that's what tapped me into this is like, it's a very common story to have mm-hmm. sort of an ascendancy where you're able to climb out of this established, you feel like things are working as planned. The system in is in an working. unexpected way, almost right. Right. You're like, this is working as intended. And then all of a sudden mm-hmm. you, you begin to notice that it starts going back again and you're like wait a minute I thought I was going up you know where is this roller coaster yeah. ride of bullshit coming from you just kind and of assume it's going to keep going up right yeah exactly because you're like I'm doing all the right things I'm doing all mm-hmm. the things I was told to do the past uh, is in the past right 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 you know um and then you quickly learn that that's you know all that it takes is one major life event to completely turn things back around and Mm -hmm. 10 years of progress is undone in two weeks yeah pretty much and and that's that's kind of I think my story without getting into the details or specificity no yeah you don't have to get super uh, personal or specific about it it's just um that's what appealed to me about this was coming from uh working class roots and and finding myself and and eventually my family and my wife you know moving up Mm -hmm. through kind of life and then seeing just how frail it is and seeing that there's there's no safety nets there's no there's nothing to help you when the chips are down and that's a very uh very interesting position and I know that there are millions and millions and millions of people who are in that situation and Mm -hmm. also infinitely worse situations right I mean a lot of people have it really bad in America which is obviously kind of the uh situation we're talking about but if you're talking about developing countries or something, I mean, it doesn't even, it doesn't even compare, Mm -hmm. but just, you said something that um, stuck out in my mind, which is you you said growing up, you felt like you were the, the, the odd man out, the poor kid. And like Mm -hmm. the other friends were kind of more middle-class. Right. right. I think I was kind of in the middle. I definitely had friends whose, (laughs) whose parents like had uh, a lot more money. I realize now. And it's so funny because I was the I was the youngest and so my mom didn't really want me to have my friends over all the time because mm. she'd already had two kids do that and I was I've the done third. this already yeah and so <laughs> I was always at my friend's house and one of my I... best friends um her mom was like a little bit I guess like protective or something so she always wanted us to come over there Mm-hmm. And from the time I was like nine until like I graduated high school, I was always at her house. And I realized now I'm like, oh, it was so awesome. I loved hanging out at her house. And I realized now I'm like, yeah, because they lived in a mansion <laughs> <laughs> or like a McMansion at least. Yeah. Right. It was like a model yeah. home and like a mm-hmm. gated neighborhood. And so yeah. I had these friends that definitely like I realize now we're better off than we were. But I right. also had friends that were uh, poorer than we were. And the thing is. I don't think as a kid, I don't think I thought about it like at all, Yeah. but I can imagine that the kids who were like the poorer ones did. I can sure. imagine because I'm an adult now and I'm a poor adult and it's all I think about. So, <laughs> right. You, <laughs> right? Yeah, like, it causes you to reflect I, I, like endlessly on both yeah. your childhood and then your, 
young and adult for years. My children, yeah, yeah. I think about that. Like yeah. uh, my kids are going to grow up poorer than I did, which is a weird kind of sad thing to say, but it's just right. true. And I live in San Francisco uh, mostly because this has been a historically a great place to work in the restaurant industry mm -hmm. um, in terms of like the minimum wage and the tipping and everything is good sure. here. There's a lot of people who just, they just go out to eat for like every meal. So it's been a great place to work in the restaurant industry. Um, but these days since COVID, it's pretty bad. I mean, I haven't even worked in like a year, but um, my point is that being kind of like working class in the city as a parent has really made me see things differently because right. so many of the parents that I talk to on a daily basis are like millionaires. <laughs> sure. Or like, I don't know, like they like own their own place in San Francisco and stuff. And I'm like, how? <laughs> right. And it's right. really weird because I don't think that they think about it or maybe they do, but like, I don't really think that they think about it, but I mm -hmm. do. So <laughs> yeah, of course. And that's Same a different feeling, level of, kind of awareness and, and consciousness that yeah. isn't afforded to everybody because at a certain point it, it not necessarily wealth, but just just being able to say I've I've accomplished the the um the game. I've I've won the game mm -hmm. in, in that sense. I yeah. I'm not they let me rephrase that. Let me rephrase that. So they become there, it's not that they're not aware that there aren't people that have it worse or are, you right. know have a difficult lives it's just that they're very insulated from it because typically they're not like when we're children but when we're adults you you are congregating with mostly people in the same socioeconomic bracket yeah and it's very rare that you have a friend who's kind of like on the out and out all the time uh compared to your life at least and so yeah. buying a property in a you know a major metropolitan city or area uh, seems normal. It's again, part of the process. Mm -hmm. And it was, I remember when uh, my wife and I, when we resided in Boston, we thought, I don't know how anyone could ever buy a property here. It just seems, Im just not even without a, with a, without a child, it's impossible to buy a property here. You would need to be a millionaire. Yeah. And then we moved, we moved back um, to our hometown and it became the same thing where we said, I don't know how you would ever buy a property here. You would need to be a millionaire. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and it's, it's, it's a really uh, disheartening experience because all of a yeah. sudden you think of like property as generational wealth. And they're like, well, I can't afford that to my child. I don't know how I'm going to build that for them uh, because you are concerned about the future. Uh, and it's, it, it's a very weird time to be alive. And I think yeah. more people would be aware of these uh, topics if they were actually talked about. And in yeah. the mainstream culture, they're definitely not talked <laughs> yeah. about at all. They use the code word of opportunity. Yeah. Uh, that's what it becomes. That one. <laughs> yeah. We want to expand opportunities for mm -hmm. people. But what they're trying to say is that class mobility is, has reached a dead end. So, right. Yeah. So obviously, I mean, it's a little bit, this, this topic this angle is a little bit tired, but we all know that like the baby boomers had a lot of, obviously they had hardship as well, but like a lot of them had the opportunity to afford a home and, mm -hmm. you know, work towards a career and have affordable college if they went to college and all that. Right. And it, now like all of that is so on the opposite end. And um, I just think it's interesting that a lot of the children of like baby boomers or maybe even Gen X, 
are never going to be able to afford those things seemingly, but they grew up feeling so comfortable and there must be a cultural impact to that sort of thing, right? Like that has to be, there has to be a cultural impact. And I'm wondering what it will be because for me, it's been radicalizing. And I think maybe that's the definition of being radicalized uh, because like I used to see things very differently and then I experienced something and now (laughs) I see things the other way. And so I don't think that, I don't think it's a good thing overall because (laughs) a lot of people are in very bad circumstances, Right. but I think maybe the radicalization could be seen as a positive thing. Maybe. (laughs) Yeah. I think I see where you're coming from. I don't, I don't know myself either. I do agree with you that you're kind of what you postulate that, you know, what this has resulted in is, is, you know, the radicalization of a lot of people, maybe an entire mm-hmm. generation, but the way that that has manifested is very different for every person. Mm-hmm. And in some instances, a lot of people who are, I think, still tapped into the typical um, political landscape mm-hmm. are still falling into the same traps posited by both parties in a lot of ways. And they say, oh, well, you know, I'm, I feel completely differently than anyone who's in charge or anyone, any pundit is representing mm-hmm. I feel completely different, but they, they touch on one or two things that actually speak to me. So therefore I still have representation. The only way they relate to a huge portion of the population is that they bring up Jesus or something. Yeah. I mean, no, I think that's part of it, but I think it's also just something like saying times are tough and we know that Mm -hmm. or saying like, here's a problem that we know you're experiencing with say, I don't know, debt reduction or whatever. Mm -hmm. And we know it's a problem. And they say mm-hmm. that, and that's enough for people to go see someone in charge knows it's a problem, which means they're working towards fixing it. Yeah, that's true. And, and that's that feeling that that empathy, even if it's false, even if it's fake, even if it's if it's just posturing, can be very powerful. And that's why when people do feel radicalized, if you're talking day to day just to a, someone who's working class and and not talking about the specifics of politics, but just about mm-hmm. their lives and commiserating and seeing how often there's so much overlap regardless of how they feel personally. Um, that's never represented in, in any modern political landscape, like at all. But. Yeah, that's true. I mean, I don't, I know that people like culturally, things are represented kind of like, you know, Democrat, Republican, people yeah, feel that cul- divide a little right. bit. But I never feel like anyone actually talks about the working class, like in terms no. of like politicians. And sometimes there are these like, um, third party type politicians or maybe populists that come out and they talk about those things, but they never get very far. I mean, not lately. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And if, if it is, it's also, if it comes from another source, that's more mainstream, it's, it's kind of blowing smoke up people's ass. It's yeah, just saying and that's it another it, it, concern too, is yeah. I feel like sometimes it could be uh, a way to seem relatable or something to a huge demographic. Mm-hmm. But the thing is at the end of the day, they're, it's not really going to change anything or anybody's circumstances. Right. Um, so that's interesting, by the way, what you said about feeling like you could never afford a home in Florida, because I, I'm like a native Californian. And mm-hmm. obviously, you know, uh, 20 years ago, a lot of people could afford in certain areas that were kind of like un, untapped, right? That's right. how my parents did it. They had always, they, they grew up, my parents are both from LA or like, you know, Southern California. Mm-hmm. And they moved up to Northern California because they could afford something there. And then they got really lucky with that. Um, And I think that basically 
change the trajectory for the rest of their you know lives in terms of finances at least sure but I can't afford anywhere in California, you know what I mean? 20 years later, 30 years later. Yeah. And it's kind of crazy because you always hear as a Californian, you always hear about like other states, these other states that you should move to instead. And it, not necessarily saying I'm going to do that or anything, but mm-hmm. you hear it so much in the news and from other people. And I feel like Florida is one of those ones that maybe 10 years ago, a ton of people were saying, go move to Florida. And I can only imagine the impact that that had. And I'm, I, I, yeah. I, I well, don't really like the whole now. like Californication thing because I oh, feel I like it's kind of insulting as like a working class Californian. Yeah, no, but, I, I see where you're coming from. Yeah. But I, I could imagine that like there must be like an just like a, I don't know, all these people like immigrating there basically and moving yes. there to yeah. have an opportunity. But then that takes away the opportunity from people who are from there. <laughs> right. You're 100% correct. And to shorten it into as shortly as I can, because I don't want to expand on it. But uh, basically, we're experiencing and have been experiencing over the past couple of years, the past about three years, a mass exodus, uh, well, a mass migration from people around the country moving to Florida because the, yeah. the, the land was cheap. And they're, they're, let's just face it. They're working in the in various sectors throughout, uh, maybe tech sectors or whatever, in various other states, and they make a lot of money. Mm-hmm. And buying a house outright for two hundred thousand dollars cash isn't a big deal for them. And no. they could be from Austin, Texas, and they they come here and they mm-hmm. they buy out a house and they flip it or they turn it into a rental property to have that static income, and then they go buy one of the various McMansions in in an upscale uh, area. Uh, you yeah. know, in wherever the, they're going to be working or whatever, what, what have you. And that takes away opportunity for homeownership from people who would be working class and, and are looking here to try and get their first starter home. Remember when that was a, a topic that people would say, well, you have yeah. to look for your first starter home, the fixer upper. And it's just like, those don't what exist. What are you talking about? <laughs> yeah, yeah, those don't and, exist. And not to mention, I didn't even think about this, but so many parts of, I think, especially central Florida were hit really hard with the recession, right? And all the foreclosures. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Because it was basically all these like, weird, like, um, like gated communities had popped up, you know, where people had developed all this land, yeah. and then no one could afford them. And it's like, so who owns them now? Right. It was hyper development and like yeah. a, everything got foreclosed on and went back to the ownership of the banks, but then they were able to sell them again because yeah. they're like, well, no one can afford these. We're not going to lower the price. And mm-hmm. then eventually they just waited and waited and waited and waited and they waited it out long enough so that there would be that mass immigration of people who would say, I don't want to live in Texas. I don't want to live in New York. I don't want to live in California. And I have the money and the capital to be able to move to a place like Florida and meet yeah. a quality of life that exceeds where I was and still yeah. allows me to have a lot of opportunity <laughs> it's really kind of depressing <laughs> the whole like depressing. the whole housing thing is so is so crazy and besides from those individuals who are very insulated mm-hmm. um by their socioeconomic status they're not able to look at the rest of the country or the people they work with side by side or even the people who are in their office at work and be like oh they, they're working at this you know a great company like i am or working at a great place like i am they're probably doing just as well as I am. And that, and that perspective yeah. is very skewed. And it's because we have this kind of gag order on talking about what you make or what mm-hmm. you can afford because it's very gauche. It's very, it's viewed as very, very, you know, oh no, that's, that's, yeah, we, we don't, don't talk, talk about, about that. that. And we should, people should have we conversations should. more because it would open up, I think a lot of people's eyes. People are just because someone is, is has done very well for themselves doesn't mean that they're, 
an uncaring monster. It just yeah. means that they don't have the same awareness because why would they? They mm-hmm. no one ever, they're not going to listen to things that are going to they hear their feel-good stories on NPR every once in a mm-hmm. while. And that's about the extent of it. They don't want to know that the guy in the cubicle two rows from them is barely making ends meet. Mm-hmm. They don't want to hear I- that. I think what's really interesting is you're totally right about all that. But also I feel like I've worked for people um, like, you know, the owners of the business that I've worked at who pay me, who sign my checks, who, you know, file my W-2 or whatever, right. know exactly mm-hmm. how much they're sending me home with, but they act like it's like this secret or like this mystery. And they act mm-hmm. like they have no idea how little I make. And it's like, and, and, and at the same time, like sometimes they kind of want to be friends and then they say little things once in a while where you're like, oh my God, you know how broke I am. Right. You pay me and yeah. you send me home with these conditions and you don't give me benefits and everything. And I'm going to sit here and listen to you complain about like your kids preschool tuition or something. And like, it's right. just, it's so frustrating, but mm-hmm. also like you're like, why aren't we talking more openly about this? Because we all know, we all know what we're kind of making. Yeah. Why yeah. is it like a secret that I'm, you know, not making millions of dollars? I obviously am not. And, right. and so it's, it's really frustrating when it's coming from the person who like clearly knows exactly what you're making. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. and they kind yeah. of, they kind of act like if they don't say it, then they don't have to address the fact that they're sending people home with like starvation wages. Right. If they don't say it, it's not real. Right. So and if they don't say not, what they make, that's, you can't compare it. Right. So I'm not hurting anyone <laughs> because it's not yeah. real. <laughs> and, yeah. And I, I think that's the other thing too, is like it's, it's, it's not, like I said, we have no solutions for this. It's just yeah. matter of fact. I, I've, I felt recently over the past you know, two or three years, um, especially since the birth of my son, like being pragmatic about mm-hmm. things is, is far more helpful than trying to win over a lot of people you may meet in your job with theory or with, you know, really just talking to people and having open conversations, even if they're kind of awkward at first, isn't the worst thing in the world. And, and just being a little bit more pragmatic about how we talk to people can, mm-hmm. can actually build a better sense of like, oh, you know what, I'm not alone. Like, and other people yeah. begin to have that same realization too, that, you know what, I'm not the only person on the planet that's actually really struggling right now. That's um, because true. we all know it. Yeah. But, and very few of us say it aloud. It's that kind it's... of reminded me of like so during COVID, it's so funny because there's been so many people of like like people in my family, people who I've like worked for, like all these different people. And we've talked about like being on unemployment. Mm-hmm. And because so so many people, even if they, you know, weren't necessarily like like completely destroyed by COVID or something. A lot of them signed up for unemployment anyways. And we had to talk about like the frustrations of like getting paid and getting in the system and all these things. Yeah. And it kind of leveled the playing field in a funny way to like call my grandma up and be like, Oh, like unemployment, this and that. And like, you know, we never really (laughs) talked about money normally. And so that's kind of interesting. Yeah. Maybe, maybe it's leveled the playing field a little bit for people to just like talk openly about it. Cause it's like, obviously we're all going broke. <laughs> well, right. And you, you did a video on, on unemployment and kind of transitioning back to the workplace while mm-hmm. being able to say, you know, I, there are um, some dignities and some ideas that must be met 
-hmm. when going back to a workplace where all of a sudden the workers matter a lot mm -hmm. and that they should be um, treated not only better, but also that they, yeah, you're worth a lot more than what you think you are. Yeah. Um, because obviously without that, the system kind of falls apart, right? You know, you need those cogs or the machine doesn't work, mm -hmm. right? It doesn't turn at all. Um, yeah, and, pretty much. <laughs> and you made a great video about that. And that video Thank kind you. of touched on those ideas that, you know, listen, if you're going back most people, you address the big elephant in the room, which everyone knows. It's like, Hey, if you go and you work full you won't you you'll, you won't ever work full time they'll cut you at 39 hours because they yeah, don't want you to work full time because they don't want to pay yeah. you benefits so if you're at 40 hours a week and you're making minimum wage and you're on unemployment and you're making more money for a year now a good majority of the country said i don't know why i was working that job two gig jobs a side business doing everything i, I don't know why i was doing it and even yeah. people who weren't working with kind of even people who had careers, good jobs with good wages, all of a sudden said, you know, I, I didn't get a chance to interact with my family for five years. I watched my kids grow up without me. Um, mm -hmm. I barely know my family anymore. My brothers or sisters or father or mother, I haven't spoken with them in a year or something. Yeah. And they began to realize that, that I gave it all up and I don't know why I did it because I, yeah. I, I don't have anything to show for it. Like yeah, and a lot of people, any progress that they had made before the pandemic was robbed. It was gone. Completely gone. And like, yeah. I mean, we experienced that. My husband finally had gotten out of the restaurant industry after like, like almost 15, 20 years, like something like that. Right. And he finally got a good job, a salary job doing something really cool. And he was, he was working during like school hours, basically. So it was perfect mm -hmm. for our family and it's gone and it's just right. gone and there's right. nothing it's not like he can just switch to a different um like the same job in a different you know office or something because it right. was a really unique situation and yeah. uh he's like really bummed about that and, yeah, and not not to mention fa the fact that like a lot of people probably spent years in the same company working up the ladder yeah. or whatever as they say and right. just, it's just all gone and that, that that's what i mean by kind of that like aspirational um, trajectory where, where as you head on that path, you begin to feel like, oh my, wait a minute, this is doable. This mm -hmm. is real. This can happen. This mobility can occur. And you start feeling good about it. Mm -hmm. And then you, you start, what happens is, is that there's an awful tendency as you start heading on this path, where you start feeling this anxiety that someone's going to pull the rug out from underneath of you. Something's going to happen yeah. that's going to pull you off that path while say looking at generational differences and, and generational wealth differences look at the baby boomers as just a core example or gen x that didn't occur mm -hmm. there the setbacks where you lost that dream job for instance if you're if this is 1995 and your husband had lost that dream job there would have been a multitude of jobs that he could have taken that would have fulfilled the same needs if not exceeded them yeah and, and now all of a sudden those, those jobs, not only have they dwindled and become incredibly, um, I just hit my mic. Okay. <laughs> I'm gesturing too much. <laughs> I do I'm that like constantly. <laughs> I'm, it, 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 uh, there's those jobs are, are not only incredibly difficult to get into, mm -hmm. you're going through your seven, eight, nine step interview process for these jobs. God, it's so stupid. And, and you can imagine 1995 and you get your first interview and they say you're hired and you worked there for 25 years and that's it. <laughs> And you're like, wait a minute, 
and you look at the same requirements for the same job now and be like, mm-hmm. oh, well, not only have you been grandfathered into the role in a fashion that has been completely like quieted with no additional certifications necessary, mm-hmm. but, uh, you know, somebody who got in is like, they're there on a bachelor's degree. And now this job requires a master's degree at entry level with a $37,000 pay cut. Yeah. And just be like, wait a minute, how the, how does this work? <laughs> like, I was, yeah. First of all, it was just putting fairness aside. I mean, at what point do we, are we able to aspire to better tomorrows and a better life for ourselves and our neighborhood and our community and our families above all mm-hmm. without feeling like at any minute, the frailty, the fragility of it, it's just so recognizable and it will be sm- just taken away immediately. Yeah. And, and it's, it's, like- it's incredibly difficult. Yeah, it's like, at least if you knew that no matter what happened, that you would be able to get, um, you know, see a doctor, you'd have like some, like food stamps or EBT or anything like that. Like, right. but, but like with maybe like a little bit better of a threshold, because the means testing is ridiculous on that, especially these days. Mm-hmm. And yeah. making sure that like housing is affordable and everything. If you did get the rug pulled out from underneath you, it wouldn't be so scary Right. Right. You you, because you would have that safety net and but we just don't have that. And it's really Mm. it's it really sucks. But like something you said about people realizing, looking back on their 40 hours and going, why did I do this? I'm experiencing that a lot right now because so many people are going back to work and I'm obviously I'm trying to do I'm trying to like create stuff online. Um, But the thing is, the amount I make on unemployment is pretty much on par with what I was making anyways. Like it's, Mm -hmm. it's not very different, which a lot of people took a huge pay cut on unemployment. Right. It was like, for me, it was pretty much what I was making anyways. So now if I go off of that and return to work, I'm like, I'm, I'm like, I'm working and I'm still poor. (laughs) Right. Like you get what I mean? And it's so, it's so frustrating. The working class became the working poor. Why would I go back? Because I would be making the exact same money right? for just, but I'd be, I have none of my time to do any of this. And Mm. so it's really, I'm really in a very frustrating spot right now because I will have to probably eventually do something, but I'm kind of holding out and seeing if maybe I can get pump those numbers up you know <laughs> <laughs> a lot of a lot of other people are too and yeah which and, good I'm glad and there's there's a there's an interesting aside make them squirm where, you know <laughs> yeah and make them squirm a little bit when you talk to people about this that are older mm-hmm. and you talk to them about your woes or you do disco- disclose what your current situation is the the immediate knee-jerk reaction in most instances is why don't you just work harder And it's just like, what do you mean work harder? There's nothing to do to work harder. You cannot manifest opportunity when opportunity does not exist. And when those opportunities that are rare and true do come along, again, all that it takes is one thing to knock you back down. Mm -hmm. It's a very odd conversation to have. And I think I understand why, actually, is because I I do truly believe, and this is my, my personal belief, it doesn't mean it has to translate to everybody else. I do truly believe that a lot of people who are Gen Xers and baby boomers know how fortunate they are and they've lived lives that are incredibly rich and blessed. And they know that they know that they're very aware of that. And there's a shame in it because Mm -hmm. they do understand denial. Denial is very powerful. It's not just a, it's not just a a river in Egypt. (laughs) (laughs) That's that's a good point. I think you're right. Um, Because there's a certain, there's a certain, um, 
uh, what's the word? Like the certain like tone they get when you bring it up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and it's, it's, some of them are a little more forgiving than others, but yeah, I think yeah. it is uncomfortable. And yeah. I think, I think it's important that people, I wish people could understand that they don't necessarily have to like give everything up to like right. admit it yeah, and, and exactly. rather just, yeah. just like be a little bit more conscious of it and be like, um, appreciative, I guess, or like, yeah. or just respectful of people who aren't, uh, in the same yeah. financial situation as yeah. them. Because I think, especially in uh, like the customer service industry, you get a, like a weird, um, classism from people. <laughs> and you're mm. like, I really wish that you would stop being like this because I'm just trying to be nice. And sure. I don't know, like you tell people what you do on your days off and, you're like, oh, I really don't want to have this conversation with you specifically because right, right. People, just, well, that's, people are weird about it. They, they do get weird about it. And I think they get weird about it too, because then it's, I'm far from far and away from the first person to posit this. But obviously when, when you kind of don't feel like you have power, we were talking about the rug being pulled up from underneath of you. Mm-hmm. Well, the more you acquire that same feeling still there. Yeah. So you, you take that and it manifests into, I must do everything I can to preserve this. You don't want to and jinx then it. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want to jinx it. And I also have power when, mm-hmm. when I'm able to talk to somebody who is working and they're below me because it's a transactional relationship. And they're like, mm-hmm. I am the king. I am the president. I am yeah. right. And that power dynamic creates a really, really gross interaction often. And we see it. it people always de facto result in, you know, the, the kind of like looking at TikTok or, or YouTube compilations of people treating employers or uh, you know people employees really poorly um Mm -hmm. and especially during COVID that was a very popular thing too and it's just like I don't find any of it to be amusing or or funny it's just really sad and tragic because I don't know why people are treating each other like this to begin with other than they feel like I don't have any power in my own life and this is the only instance where I can exercise it and someone's gonna have to agree with me and tell me I'm right yeah because that's the way the system is engineered because it that's the way it works yeah yeah so um obviously fuck all those people that harass uh you know hourly yeah that goes without saying what you said about (laughs) what you said about um people kind of being in denial about it the other thing is a lot of people especially like middle class people they feel like they can't do anything about it anyway like other right. than literally giving away all their money, which wouldn't, which wouldn't solve anything. Um, right. right. They feel like there's really not anything that they can do for people, but that's not true. I think that being class conscious and, and understanding that and like empowering workers and stuff is effective and wouldn't mm-hmm. ruin their lives to no. help or admit or anything. Right. And it's not going to make them lose everything. No, not at but all. at the end of the day, I wish people, I wish that like this group of people who saw what it was like to grow up more middle-class and mm-hmm. now are finding themselves without opportunity. I wish that they would, instead of, instead of like aspiring to become landlords or whatever, I wish that they would just kind of like own it and help each other and lift each other up and say like, Hey, you know, uh, we have to stand together if we want better conditions, because it's literally the only thing that's going to work. I mean, it's really, it's really tough because it, even at the end of the day, that might not work and usually doesn't, but, um, it could, if we all kind of woke up a little bit, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. I think so too. And I also think it's important on the same note that for everybody who's listening or everybody who, who listens to the podcast or, or watches your videos or, 
or is tuned into any of these struggles or, or whatever mm-hmm. is like pragma like I had mentioned pragmatism before like that doesn't mean giving up hope by the way yeah like it is okay to hope I, I yeah. don't say stake all of your energy and and just be like I can sleep peacefully at night because I'm hopeful no that's not what I mean again pragmatism but it yeah. is okay to have hope you know you don't we don't yeah have to spend nihilism isn't very fun right I can like, tell you firsthand yeah exactly <laughs> same here like being a doomer is not going mm-hmm. to solve depends on the day but yeah that's usually yeah. usually kind of I I try to I try to maintain hope I think that's true and I also want to just um address the fact that yes like like because you know obviously we just talked about kind of the differences you growing up like very working class me growing up middle class and still Mm -hmm. kind of ending up maybe in similar places anyways um that despite all that like not not me specifically but someone in a situation more like mine can take more risks and like me specifically I can I can do this and I know that if something really bad happened me and my kids would be able to live at my parents' house. And some people right. don't have that. Some people, their parents are incarcerated or they're not even, they're not alive. They have no money. Right. They're yep. paying for their parents, right? They're supporting their own parents. Sure. Yeah. So th- these are very different situations and it's important to like address that. But that at the end of the day, like, yeah, I think a lot of us need to just come together and stop <laughs> uh, trying to crawl on top of one another is right. basically my point. Right. And that I think seems they're... to be the only way to get ahead right no i think it's important and and discussing about how like mutual aid or community action or outreach factors into all of this again don't have the answers don't have that for you i wish i did i just know too that in my own community one of the best things i i i can do here is just like talk to people and get to know people and Mm -hmm. and create you know, what, what little networks you can. And, and, and as soon as you start talking to people, it doesn't matter uh, who they are. You begin to realize there's a lot of people who are in the same boat or they know someone who's in similar boats. So, I mean, I don't know. I just think it's, I guess, be a good person. It's not. Yeah. Hey, at the end of the day, be a good person. No, I think talking to people (laughs) who might not have the privilege that you have is important. Talking to people who, um, come from a different background or Mm -hmm. something I think it can be humbling and I think that people can 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 be empathetic even if that's not usually their (laughs) go-to so yeah I I think I think it's something that we could all work on a little bit and in conclusion we live in a society (laughs) we do we truly live in a society it's truly a society (laughs) take off the joker makeup there's just Take off oh. the Joker makeup a little bit. You can smear it, leave some on. I don't even but... bother putting it on these days, you know. Yeah. Why bother? <laughs> you know, it's just, it's a waste, you know. Yeah. Um, but yeah, and uh, you know what? One of my favorite comments that I got, I forget who posted it, but it was someone was like, it was really frustrating because, you know, I grew up and I did everything my parents told me and I went to college and I didn't do drugs and I didn't smoke cigarettes and I didn't do this and that and the other mm. thing. And I, now I'm like in debt working class I work all the time I never have any fun you know like this kind of thing and it's like I got a couple comments I think kind of to that effect and people being very frustrated that they're like I did everything I was told to do and it didn't work and yeah it's the it's kind of a scam I don't know Mm -hmm. it feels like it's 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 heartbreaking because like I said like I I have a similar position where I've I've had I've been fortunate enough to see what I would almost call like the opposite side of the coin where I'm like wait a minute I'm playing the game 
I'm doing things as I'm supposed to. I'm following the rules. I'm not breaking the law. I accept just like that. And then I'm getting the college degree. I'm getting the two college degrees. I'm doing everything to make myself more marketable and everything else. And then all of a sudden, like one thing can happen in your life. Yeah. And it's all gone. And it could be, and I'm not something, it's something you did. It's something that mm-hmm. you have to respond to, like your parents getting sick. Yeah. And then you have to say, what do I do? It's not just a choice or something. Right. It's not well, one of these moments where it's just like, well, I got to keep working. And most of us do, but it's just like, well, no, like there's no one there. They don't have anyone. I don't have a brother. I don't have a sister. There is no one there it. to to help them. That's This is it. And mm-hmm. so I think that's important to just be like, it's the heartbreaking thing about it is at some point you think maybe it could actually work. But the reality is, is that it often 99.9% of the time doesn't. And that's not a good track record, mm-hmm. you know? And so I think it, that's why people from like your background, my background, all sorts of different backgrounds, everyone wants to be a millionaire because the, the whole thing is that, if you were a millionaire, then these little things, these little bumps in the road wouldn't be such a big deal. It wouldn't, you wouldn't lose everything. You would lose some of your wealth and you would be able to regain it before, you know, anything else happened. And that's why everyone wants to be a millionaire because they have no social safety net. Mm -hmm. And if, if we had a social safety net, maybe we could all stop trying to become millionaires. Yeah. daydreaming about what we would do and who we would give the money to and right. who we would help first and everything because it's like this like pathetic little dream we have because it's the only thing we can do is just hope that we're bulletproof someday right. and it sucks yeah no it's <laughs> it not really ideal sucks. Not it's ideal like at all. it's like my other thing is like you know I kind of thought oh this is just like my broke young and broke phase, right? Oh, like I was in community college and then like, oh, like you're like a starving artist. And then you're like, no, I'm 30. And I'm still like, (laughs) my bank account is overdrawn. (laughs) This wasn't supposed to be happening still. Right. Right. Yeah. (laughs) That kind of stuff. Exactly. Exactly. And it's, it's people who who've been on every side of the up and every side of the down and are all kind of now in our current space in this current time, mostly in the same boat. Yeah. No matter how you you kind of put everybody into different buckets that is categorized by, do they have a family to rely on? Do they not have a family to rely on? Mm-mm. Do they have health care? Do they not have health care? You, you really divvy it up and, and everybody is almost in the same bucket. Yeah. I mean, One wrong it, thing and it exactly. is all gone. Everything. Yeah. Obviously, some people do have some, some advantages, but mm-hmm. they're really not that big of differences when you like look at the the scale of of what can happen to you right um either way we're mostly all kind of fucked yeah, <laughs> yeah. this mostly, has been mostly. this has been riches to rags with kelgo and brian <laughs> <laughs> this is npr <laughs> this is npr next um, well this was this was wonderful to talk to you about this yeah. um and i hope that um I wish you luck in all your future endeavors. Thank you. And <laughs> you I as hope well. You, yeah. <laughs> I hope that you um, become a millionaire soon. <laughs> well, yeah. We're all hoping, you know, we're all keeping yeah. our fingers crossed. Yeah, Fingers you know? crossed. Something, something happens, even though you don't buy lotto tickets. Yeah, Somehow exactly. Somehow you win a lottery anyway. <laughs> mm, yeah. That, wouldn't that be nice? <laughs> yeah. Um, well, thank you so much for coming on. This was awesome. Thank this is probably going to be longer than 30 minutes because I don't really want to cut any of this out. So... Uh, Oh, well. (laughs) Bonus episode. Bonus episode. (laughs) 